welcome to Fresh Pressed for September 22nd of 2020. My name is Gabe. And my name is Andrew. This is a show about music where we talk about new tunes and judicial grooves. Gabe, the fall is upon us. And by that, of course, I'm referring to both the autumn and also the collapse of American democracy. Here it comes, folks. It's it's going to happen in the next four months in some yeah. degree. So if you're trying to get out of the country, now is the time. We're really like towing the line of joke cadence and not joke cadence because it is both. Is it both? Well, it's not. It's only one of them. So Andrew and I are feeling particularly pessimistic this week for good reason. Um, on Friday, we sadly lost the great jurist, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, um, Supreme Court justice, liberal icon, star of two recent films. Well, I mean, she didn't star in both of them. <laughs> Jones star. was her in the other one. But it felt to some degree over the last four years or so that RBG was holding back the tide of impending doom. And we have lost that bulwark and also just a wonderful human being who was really important for gender equality in the courtroom and had both wonderful opinions and scathing uh, rebuttals to decisions she disagreed with. Truly a great human being and we're sad to have lost her. And so this week, our theme is not Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there are songs about her specifically, but we thought we'd go a little bit broader and just aim for justice, just judicial-related songs. Andrew, would you like to kick us off with your groove of justice? Uh, I'd love to. This song is by Duran Jones, The Indications, and it is entitled Court of Love. As I seemingly more and more often do, uh, I have a story to tell you about Duran Jones and the Indications. Oh, wow. Okay, so uh, first, some some basic background. They are a group helmed by Duran Jones, but not the one who's uh, singing in this song, although he sings a lot of the other songs. Anyway, they are a group. They uh, put their debut out in 2016. This is from their second album, which I believe is from 2018. 2019. 2019. Most of them uh, went to school, or I think maybe all of them went to school at Indiana University, a bunch of them at the uh, famed Jacobs School of Music at Indiana University. And they put together this soul and R&B old school group around uh, 2012 and and, uh, came out with their first album 2016, signed to Dead Oceans in 2018 and released American Love Call, this album, in 2019. Now, I came across them maybe 2017, at some point after their first album, and listened to it, and immediately two things happened. I fell in love with this because they have a fucking great sound. And two, I thought, oh, I need to show this band to my parents, especially my dad, because my dad 
grew up in Philly and has a great love for Philly soul and soul in general R&B that that classic sound which is absolutely what uh, Duran Jones and the Indications replicate and expand upon a year or so passed and at some point I was on a road trip with my parents or something we were in the car they asked me to put on some sort of sound for them to listen to so I thought oh well this is the perfect time I I gotta show them Duran Jones and the Indications so I put on the band and unsurprisingly they both loved it um, they were super into it. My mom was in the back seat and was looking up the band and seeing like, you know, who are they? Where are they from? You know, because it was so cool that they had so excellent, excellently uh, reproduced this sound. And she was found their website and was reading through them. Uh, Duran Jones, they went to Indiana University. Um, here's the people in it. Guitarist Blake Ryan, drummer Aaron Fraser. And then she was like, wait, Aaron Fraser, drummer? And my dad was like, wait, Aaron Fraser, drummer? And I was like, what the fuck are we talking about? And it turns out that Aaron Fraser, the drummer and the vocalist for this song, and now about half of Duran Jones and the Indications music, uh, is the son of a friend of my dad's who he went to school with. Wow. And kept, you know, some, some amount of contact with and knew that his son was a drummer and that his name was Aaron. So... They're like, oh, holy shit. Like, we know his dad. And now he, his, this kid is, like, making incredible music that we love. So they got super into Duran Jones and the Indications. While I was getting super into Duran Jones and the Indications, I think on that same car ride, we looked up, like, their tour schedule, and they were coming to Philly in a few months. So we immediately, like, bought tickets, like, on the phone in the car. Incredible. Yeah. And we saw them at uh, First Unitarian, which is... I gotta say, not a great venue for your adult parents, just in terms of like, <laughs> yes, in terms of hospitality. But it was an incredible show. Yeah, I, I'm sure. I mean, this is the kind of music that is just unbelievable live with a full, with like the full band there. Absolutely, stuffed on the tiny little stage on the fucking like kindergarten carpet that they have on the. First thing you're hearing, God, I miss live music. Ugh. So uh, an interesting thing, Duran Jones, the eponymous Duran Jones, has very much this strong, like, raw, passionate soul kind of voice. But Aaron Fraser, who sings on this song and a bunch of other songs, does this, like, falsetto soul R&B kind of thing, which I just really love and I think was the thing that that was really amazing to my dad. Not only that, like, oh, I know this kid's dad, but also that he sings in this way and writes music in this way that is, like, absolutely my dad's shit. It's like this Delphonics kind of sound. You know the... Do you know the song La La Means I Love You, Gabe? Uh, yes, I'm familiar. Okay. That's, like, one of my dad's favorite songs. This song and all of Aaron Fraser's falsetto sounds, like, reminds me immediately of that. This music is so evocative of that era... In particular, I mean, if you didn't know that this album was from 2019, you would think it was from 1970. Yeah. It does not sound like music that would be made in the last 10 years. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing is that the whole album does vary a little bit. Like, if you just hear this song, you will assume that all of their music is, like, just the new Delphonics. But 
they do have a lot of variety and there are different influences that they collect. This song, however, is just like so perfect of this of this sound that I just I just immediately fell in love with it when I heard it the first time. And it also is just a great like conceit of a song. Yes. It has that like kind of goofy vibe to it that makes it classic and also sort of like making light of of classics and also it's a it's a beautiful song. I wanted to hop on that cheesy point you made right there because talking about Court of Love, some of the like rhyming and the rhyming scheme feels very much in that vein, right? Like sort of poking fun at the genre, but also putting together a beautiful sound. What are you referring to? Well, so it's kind of unusual to get multiple lines that all rhyme. Uh, That's not putting it in a good way. But like, for instance, at the end of each verse, you have like an A-A-A-B structure of a verse, right? Like you get aisle, while, trial. And then in the second verse, travel, gavel, unravel. That like repeated rhyming rather than like an A, A, B, A, B or A, B, B, A structure is I think unusual and gives it that vibe of being like a little bit, I don't know, it's like an old fashioned rhyming scheme in music, especially like these very obvious rhymes, right? It's, there's not, they're not even like slanty at all. something about that is that they are both two syllables both of those rhymes it's it's a two syllable it's a trochaic rhyme so you have aisle while trial and then travel gavel ravel and that sort of extends it and also uh, because one of the things about rhyme is that you hear the end of a line and if you know that it's going to rhyme you start expecting the rhyme and also depending on how closely you're listening to it you start guessing what words they might use. And when you start with travel and you know that it's going to be a full rhyme of travel, then you're like, what the, like there's only so many words that they can put in there. Yeah. And it's, and then the second one is gavel and you're like, oh, of course it's gavel. They probably had gavel first. And I'm like, okay, what can we rhyme with gavel? Cause we're writing a <laughs> song about court of love. That's what's great about it. Cause like they use the word gavel and it's like, no one uses the word gavel, especially the end of a line so that they can just, rhyme it with other stuff but it's, it's goofy like that i love that this is like an example of a song that almost perfectly meets your expectations but it does so so well that it's amazing right but there, it doesn't feel like there's anything like surprising in the song if that makes sense we've talked about this before like this mix of expectation and surprise uh in music and this rhyming scheme is like pure like it, it's exactly what i would expect but that doesn't make it any less excellent well i would i would actually say that like it is it is sort of what i expect but i also at the same time expect it to fall short of my expectations when i sit down in 2019 to listen to a song with this sound i expect it to be a sort of pale imitation of the sound or of the style whereas this is like the perfect like goes beyond gives me the feeling that i imagine like it has the cleverness and the novelty of a song from the era that it's that it's uh, referencing. 
rather than just being like, ah, yes, remember this and relying on like the, the link of the reference, this in its own right is really excellent. And I I don't know, like you said, like I could just shove this in a, in a playlist of that like seventies sound and you would never know the difference. You couldn't, you wouldn't be able to tell like which one is the 2019 song because this isn't like a, Oh, remember that old music? Here's our version of it. It's like, here's this music. You know, it's, it's the perfect execution. When I first listened to the song, I, I actually, I thought, wait, what year is this from? Isn't this from, like, that was my reaction. Like, this could be definitely perfect example of music from that era. And there's only small clues that would indicate that it's not. Another thing about them being, like, pitch perfect, uh, which, again, we, we mentioned last week with, with your uh, new tune pick, Gabe. I think three of the band members, there's, like, five or six people in the, in the uh, steady band. Three of them studied audio engineering at Jacobs. So they are all like intensely aware of the like production and the, the component level of the song is, is what they say somewhere. And that I think is also what sells this retro sound, but executes it perfectly because that old soul music is so much based in the songwriting, which we've already talked about, but also in the production of it. And that like 70s sound is so distinctive and they execute it really well because more than half of them are like trained professionals at production and audio engineering. They say something about this, uh, the, the ability to listen to listen at a component level to zero in on what makes a record electrify the listener and synthesize that with their own work. That definitely comes through in a, in a few ways. Uh, I think the mixing is really perfect. It's really just absolutely perfect. And they probably didn't mix their own record. I don't know, did they? Like normally you have like a producer who kind of interfaces between the musicians and the engineers, let's say on m- more major records. But they are clearly directly speaking with whoever engineered this record and worked with them to find kind of this perfect mix. And some of the instruments just absolutely stand out. The The drum work on this song is a perfectly set in the song, like as like its levels and the, the sound of it and how it was recorded, but also just like the technique of your parents' friend's son, Aaron Fraser, is so subtle and just always like correct which is really cool and i think this is something that going to school for music can give you maybe a slight edge in as opposed to like you don't need to go to a music school or get a degree in music to be a musician but going to school for music can give you insight into how the whole process works especially if you're doing like a degree in audio engineering um, in a way that gives you a more structured feel for how to approach a song like this. And that really shines. Standing on the witness stand She recounts her worst fears The miles she may travel He who holds the gavel The lies Gabe, you have a slightly darker take on the theme this week. 
it would be difficult to be lighter than yours. So, but that's fair. Um, I have a question for you, Andrew. Do you know the band Radiohead? Wait, I'm sorry. Are you talking about the song "Video Killed the Radio Star"? Um, do you know? I'm just gonna blow right through that. Um, Andrew, do you know the band The Red Hot Chili Peppers? That's the one with the socks on the. Andrew, have you heard of David Byrne? David Matthews? What about Beck? You like Beck, right? Or REM, you know, the end of the world as we know it. Perfect for this day and age. Uh, Yeah, except I don't feel fine. Now imagine if you took members from all of these bands, Andrew, and were like, let's make one band out of them. Can you imagine that? Because that's who I've brought this week. This is Adams for Peace, their song Judge, Jury, and Executioner off their 2013 record, Amok. Um, so Adams for Peace, Andrew, as I know you are aware, is a project started by Tom York, the lead singer of Radiohead. He got the group together to uh, tour for his solo record, The Eraser. Um, and then they decided, like, oh, we should actually just record a record of our own music rather than just touring for your stuff. Um, so this is a ridiculous, ridiculous group of people. So you have Tom York, right, from Radiohead. Flea, you've probably heard of Flea, the bassist for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Nigel Godrich, who um, also works with Radiohead. Uh, Joey Warenker, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, um, who was a drummer for Beck and R.E.M. Um, and then they also brought in Mauro Rufosco, who is a Brazilian percussionist who toured and worked with David Byrne, whose music is obviously very famous for its percussion. Um, so they all got together and made a record together, and this is one of those culminations of that effort, and it's awesome. Before I get into music, I wanted to give a quick note on the name of the group. Adams for Peace was an initiative started by Dwight D. Eisenhower to like bring nuclear energy to the world. It was a big deal at the time because nobody had really talked about the nuclear programs like publicly. And this was like the U.S.'s attempt to publicize and, and promote nuclear energy as like a beautiful, clean source of energy, which, you know, didn't super totally work out over the next 40 years. It is also a sweet name for a band. Yeah, I mean, it has that sort of tongue-in-cheek kind of menace flavor to it because of its inher- because of its original meaning. And this is also a bit of a menacing track. Yeah, I mean, the the title is Judge, Jury, and Executioner, and it is pretty much about a person being sentenced to death. So that's a little bit intense, but it is it does lend itself to an incredible song. Before I jump to like any sort of lyrical stuff, Andrew, I wanted to talk briefly about the bass line, because it is kind of the main feature, especially instrumentally, of the song.
So the bassist is Flea, who, yeah, obviously great, uh, great bass player. Um, but what's really cool about the bass line is that it's a, like a recreated bass line from the main theme of the movie Death Wish. Are you familiar with it? It can't be the one from like a few years ago. No, they did remake it, I think, recently. But there is an okay. original from 1974. The original music to Death Wish was composed by Herbie Hancock. Oh, shit. Jazz great. And the main theme has this really iconic bass line in it. And this is this song basically cribs that bass line from the Death Wish main theme. And uh, obviously there's some, you know, thematic tie-ins with Death Wish and Executioner and, you know, the death penalty and, like, the whole thing. So it all kind of works together. The other main instrumental feature of the song, I think, is the percussion, which is very Radiohead, very, like, polyrhythmic. But also you can see all the influences of the the members of this band, particularly Mauro Fosco, who is... Right, again, that Brazilian percussionist. Apparently, the the group really came together in the studio over a shared love of Afrobeat, and in particular, um, show regular Fela Kuti, who I think makes an appearance, gets name-dropped on this show every two to three weeks, which is ridiculous. Yeah. But probably deserved. So I get the sort of vibe, but... Is there like a an underlying plot to this song, or is it all just sort of menace flavor? Is it the plot of Death Wish? It is not the plot of Death Wish, which is like a vigilante movie. Okay. Well, Judge, Jury, and Executioner is sort of what a vigilante is. That's actually a good point, but this seems to be more about like the actual, like, it, there is sort of a thread that runs through the song of like this person walking into a courtroom like hmm. explaining themselves to the judge and jury and then being sentenced to death okay so it's the judge and also the jury and also the executioner not all in one person correct yeah unless this person is on trial for a, a vigilante murder uh sure yeah of course yeah sure great perfect um yeah, you know, like the chorus starts out, I, I went for my usual walk, I tell it like it is, tell it like it was. That's the first chorus. And then the second chorus, like after a verse where he's basically like, okay, I've been sentenced to death, this, the second chorus is, I went for my usual walk, I went around the block, probably mm. a cell block. Mm. I just can't talk or reason with my executioner. And add the normal Tom York moaning through that. This is one thing that's not my favorite about Adams for Peace is that it really does just sound like Tom York, which, again, the, the group was originally brought together for his solo project. And you can hear the influences of the other artists, but it's really dominated by Tom York's sensibilities. This song in particular could absolutely just be a Radiohead song off of Hail to the Thief or In Rainbows, like with the, the groove and the ambiance of like kind of dread. That's very Hail to the Thief. And indeed, there's a song on Hail to the Thief whose like alternate name is Judge, Jury, and Executioner, right? <laughs> Great. 
but I'm also not against more like Radiohead or Tom York. Yeah. Like it's all great music, so you can only complain so much. Andrew, what a week for new music. You have been previewing bringing this artist for months, and then you almost didn't do it. But fortunately, you came to your senses. There was so much stuff, but yes, I uh, I did come to my senses. Off his, actually his second full length, which uh, surprised me, but his second full length, give or take her, this is Angimaly with the closing track from that album, To Meet You There. After death, after life, I was up half the night. Hurricane never came, not for me, not again. So, Anjimli is the mononym of Anjimli Chitambo, who uses they, them pronouns and he, him pronouns. I have seen him using he, him pronouns for himself more often like in on, on his band camp so that's the ones that i'm choosing to use but he uses both and this album i mean he he does have a, a previous album and a couple eps but this really feels like the big like breakout debut can i actually ask a question because where his other album oh weird it's on his band camp but not on spotify right yeah, so uh, it's it's more like DIY kind of thing, and he has like some mixtapes and stuff. But but give or take her, this this album is is really his debut, um, and it's it's just excellent. It takes some songs from previous releases and expands upon them, and expands upon them in a really incredible way. I absolutely love this album, and I uh, can't stop listening to it, except for when I have to to listen to all the other good albums this week. But. No, but this is an unbelievable album. It's, I, I think it is one of the apps, the highlights of the year for me. So this whole album, Give or Taker, is in a lot of ways about grief and loss in various ways. The uh, description on Bandcamp says, Loss hovers over the album, whose songs grieve for lost friends, along with loss and family members, along with lost selves. But here, grief yields an opening, a chance for new growth. And he wrote a lot of this album in the course of working through his identity as as a trans person, as a non-binary person, and also working through uh, alcoholism and a lot of uh, mental health issues that are that came with that. Um, so he's now sober and is now out as trans and non-binary to the public, and also uh, more importantly for this album, his his family this whole album sort of explores that in in a, in a lot of different ways but i i was mess i was like thinking trying to figure out what song to pick and i couldn't decide on one and then i listened to the album the whole way through again and got to this last song and just thought well this is obviously it. i don't know why i was hemming and hawing all weekend this is clearly the song that i need to talk about beyond it just being an excellent song this is also 
just a classic Andrew track in all of the best ways. It really is. I mean, the themes that it deals with, uh, do you want to talk about those first, like the lyrical themes? This It feels very, like, spiritually oriented, and it feels like it's talking with God more than anything else. Although, I don't know if you have some evidence to refute that. No, I mean, it, it is, that's true. It's very spiritual, and a lot of this album is. And uh, he's actually said that in addition to uh, his, like, the gender questions and the mental health questions that this album tackles. It's also uh, about spirituality and how that is uh, connected to those, to those other uh, aspects of, of his being. And he was raised pretty religiously, which is usually not a great combo. (laughs) Yeah. Sort of the religious raising and, being a trans person uh and it wasn't surprise but uh, this is he's sort of come into a greater understanding of of a a synthesis of more traditional religion and a more uh open positive sense of spirituality maybe an interpretation that is not so based in traditional organized religion in particular Right. Um, and a lot of that, I think the best song to exemplify that is uh, the standout single, Maker, which uh, which is uh, uh, just a quick side note. He wrote that song where the, the chorus is, I'm not just a boy, I'm a man. I'm not just a man, I'm a god. I'm not just a god, I'm a maker. He wrote that before he realized that he was trans, which is which like he thinks is kind of hilarious because the line is, I'm not just a boy, I'm a man. And then later it was like, Hmm. Maybe I was onto something there. <laughs> That's funny. That's great. But you're right. This this song, uh, "To Meet You There," also has elements of that. There's a uh, repeated line in the latter half of the song. That's a catalyst light of mine. Now is your time, and that light of mind, light of mine bit is obviously reminds me, at least, and I imagine a lot of people of this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. But it sort of transforms that. And I love the choice to say catalyst light of mine um, because it really underscores that this album and that this approach, these various approaches are all ultimately about about change, dramatic change and slow progressive change. But always that light, that, that essence of that spirituality is change and, and transformation and evolution. Light of mine, show me a sign. Catalyst light of mine, now is your time. The song itself, with the structure of the song, goes through kind of three phases of varying intensities and uh, feels. Maybe tying into that transformation as well, right? Yeah. In particular, I love the transition into what I would dub the second part of the song, where it kind of drops just to bass and bongos, I guess. Yeah, I think it's congas. It's there are there are bigger drums than bongos, but yes, yeah, and it has this really dancey feel that is also has the kind of uh, African drumming influence that is 
was a part of uh, Anne Jimley's upbringing. His parents are, I believe, originally from Malawi. And so there is an element of, of traditional African music. Along with, although I, I saw in another interview that like they listen to just like every diva solo singer. Like they listen to a lot of Celine Dion when he was growing up, which is amazing. Great. And then the, the third part of the song really feels like a climax for not just, just the song, but also the whole album. Like you've got this chorus and the whole thing, right? Yeah, I think that's why, because I've been looking forward to this album. I listened to it the whole way through and then I was listening to individual songs. And I'm like, I got to bring something for this podcast. Which song am I going to bring? Um, I think that was a mistake because listening to it again this morning and getting to the end here, the end of the album with this song and the end of this song makes it clear that this is probably my favorite song in the album. It, it feels like a summation of the whole thing and an expansion of everything. And I think that's that's what's great about this album as it relates to Anne Jimley's earlier music and releases, especially earlier releases of some of these same songs is that he worked with a producer and some other people having real artistic uh, input on the way that this sounds. And uh, he said in a couple different interviews that it opened up a wild amount of, like, opportunities that he never would have thought of if he was just still doing stuff himself. And this, like, this, like, three-part structure where it expands and expands and expands is really emblematic of he says, we had a hard time with it figuring out where the peaks and valleys of the song should be, how it should rise and fall. In an older recording of the song, the bridge was a choral situation. Gabe had the idea to bring in, not you, Gabe, uh, had the idea to bring in like a conga sound to the bridge. And Justine was like, make it a filter sweep. So it starts off muffled and then gets clearer and clearer. The folk tune. And then all of a sudden there's this really smooth, sexy African drumming. So that's like multiple people having input on, on how this song can expand collaboration can absolutely be fuel for creativity and often is very helpful with music especially if you've been working a lot solo having somebody else's input can be a revelation and can open a lot of doors for you creatively and we see that in all creative fields right i just i just really love how this song blooms and how it is like he says that uh, it's the manifestation of the first joy he said he felt in years he wrote this song at the end of his time in i think in rehab uh in recovery from from alcoholism and that sort of release and joy is so beautifully conveyed Gabe, you brought a song from an album that I hadn't heard of, from a musician that I hadn't heard of, and I'm incredibly upset with myself about about that because they are really fucking good. They absolutely are. I am delighted to have discovered Al Riggs working with Lauren Francis on their new record, Bile and Bone, and this is the title track from this record. Drove past a cardboard confederate flag Always in the 
freeze frame of being fun And we were only a couple of turns away From our home I don't have a lot of biographical information on Al Riggs or Lauren Francis, but... Look, it's not bio and bone. God. Uh, wow. I don't even what I, I had like a whole thing and now I'm just derailed. Yeah. So first, Al Riggs is a songwriter from Durham, a place where I lived for four years of my life. And they use they them pronouns for clarity. Traditionally they've worked solo and been a, a major part of the Durham or the North Carolina Triangle, which includes Raleigh and Chapel Hill scene, which is an incredible music scene for, especially for the size. Like Durham has got to be the the most creative, prolific music city of its size. There's so much great music happening there all the time, and Al Riggs has worked and opened for the Mountain Goats, for instance, right? Like. There's all this collaboration that's constantly happening in that scene. And for this record, worked heavily with guitarist Lauren Francis to kind of create this sound that we hear on the song and on the whole record. What drew me to this particular song, Andrew, is the sometimes extremely contradictory nature of living in that part of the South. The opening lyrics of the song talk about a convoy of confederate flags that that you see on the road when you're only minutes from your home in what is nominally a very progressive part of the country and of the south in particular and yet if you step outside your door or you go like five minutes down the road this way all of a sudden you run into like this very traditional deep red south that has many many problems and can't really escape from but it's also clear that this is a place where people love to live and and there's so much creative energy here and um that comes across in like the band camp notes for the record where um al riggs shouts out various establishments in durham including the best donut shop i've ever been to and that i lived three houses down from when I lived there, um, called Monuts. And actually, I was just in Durham and and uh, Chapel Hill, Andrew, and I I went to this donut shop that he shouts out in the band camp notes. And th- there's this that contradictory experience, I think, of living, especially in that area of the country, and especially as a, a queer individual in that part of the country. And they sing about the idea that this is not going away, or it's not going to go away for a long time. And then they tie that in with kind of the current political situation. And the lyric is really dark. It's, I should not be in a place where I am on my knees each night, praying for my leaders to be shot down on sight. Especially with the theme of this podcast and the news from the past week that feels particularly relevant and dark is maybe something that a lot of people of our persuasion feel connected with. And the thing is, it's never going to be in any real danger. Going away anytime soon. 
apparently when um when Lauren Francis was working with Al Riggs on making this record together, she or she did not believe that she was going to get anything more than like a writing or a mixing credit as opposed to being a co-artist on the album. Yeah. Um but I think that's really well deserved, right? She's not writing the lyrics or the songs, but her influence as a guitarist on this record is outsized. And I love the both the picked guitar work on this song. It's really beautiful. It's got great melodies intertwined through it. And also her strumming is like excellent. I don't know how to describe it. It's like kind of loose and folky. And then at times she like puts a lot of energy and emotion into into it. And she just has, it feels like she has a very precise technique of playing this instrument with a lot of, yeah, I don't know, emotion through it. And I really like that. I do think you're right that the um, the collaborative aspect of this album is, is really important. Because after listening to this album, which I loved, I also listened to Al Riggs' earlier album from 2020, which is also really great, called Ganglion, which, which they did themselves. And it's also excellent. But I, I think this album does take a step uh, beyond, certainly in scope, of that previous album. And I haven't listened to any of their other music because I only had so much time this morning to, to do that. But yeah, the, the, the collaborative aspect, I, I think really, really sets this, sets this apart from their previous work. One last fun thing about this album. Al Riggs has a Bandcamp page with this record on it. But if you're not feeling like buying some music or a cassette, you could purchase uh, an indecipherable death metal shirt that uh, they're selling which uh with the blurb wear it to the death metal clubs and convince everyone that this is a hot new hardcore band or whatever when in reality you know exactly what you're listening to and it's al riggs <laughs> that's great it does say al riggs but very difficult i mean impossible to read if you didn't in that know. indecipherable death metal sort of way um it's amazing and it's also poking at uh, fun at a specific segment of the the Durham music scene, for sure. Andrew, as we alluded to, there was an enormous amount of really good music that came out this week. Did you quickly want to do some speed round of some favorite hits? Yes, let's do it. First up, um, Salt, S-A-U-L-T. Talked about them like two fucking months ago or whatever. Put out another great fucking album. This one's called, also called Untitled, but with the subtitle Rise. Great, much more like dancey than Black is, uh, but still fiery, very good. Fen Lily put out a record titled Breach, her debut, which is amazing. Um, if you are into like Phoebe Bridgers style music, who I think she's worked with, um, you'll like this song or this record. It's great. She opened for Lucy Dacus when I saw her last year. I had forgotten, but remembered when I heard the song, used to hate my body, but now I just hate you. Great song title, great song, great album. L1011, who I'm pretty sure I mentioned last week, <laughs> put out the third, their third 2020 album uh, in sort of a sequence called 
Tautology. This is Tautology 3. Some great stuff on there. Derrid Dorian put out a record uh, titled Find the Sun, which is a little weird and ambient at times, and uh, but uh, really, really good. Rudy Deanda put out an album called Tender Epic. That's E-P-O-C-H. My friend Lauren told me to listen to this album because she had ordered it on vinyl, maybe, uh, and gotten it really early, and she fucking loved it, and I fucking loved it. It's great. It's half in Spanish. It's, like, dancey and also just, like, complex and, and beautiful and really excellent. Spencer Zahn put out a record called Sunday Painter that I feel like Andrew would love if he hasn't listened to it. Oh, it's like very much kind of that beautiful soundscape ambience of that's familiar from like Brian Eno. Uh, Ian Wayne put out an album called Risking Illness. This is on the Whatever's Clever label, which is a uh, friend of the pod, Ben Serratin's label. A really beautiful album about the loss of a family member. Gorgeous and sad. A couple bigger releases from bigger names. Uh, Cults put out a new record. Um, titled Host, which I think is pretty good. Um, and then Alicia Keys put out her record, Alicia, which has been expected pretty much all year. It was supposed to come out in May originally, and then like July, and it's finally out. And obviously not eligible for the podcast, but really good. Wow. Excellent album. Great features. Dig Nitty. That's two words, D-I-G space N-I-T-T-Y. Great fucking band name. Put on an album called Reversive Mastery. It's very good. I love the song Small Curd, which is an interesting title and a great song. A new great single from my brother, Local Dialect, uh, called Nyx, NYX. That's off of an upcoming uh, compilation, I believe. Uh, two new singles from Told Slant, Family Still and No Backpack. Those are really, really excellent. Looking forward to their upcoming album. Gabe sound the Keaton Henson alarm because there is a new Keaton Henson track. That's probably shouldn't be the Keaton Henson alarm. Well, I forgot what it was before, but it was something called Husk. Also really great. So excited to see more music from him. And finally, last but not least, of course, our dear friend from the first segment of this podcast, Aaron Fraser, put out a a solo song called Bad News. So if you liked Court of Love, check out Bad News. Full circle. You can follow us on Twitter at Fresh Pressed Pod. You can listen to all of the music that's been featured on the podcast from all of the weeks of the podcast on Spotify. That playlist will be in the description um, in whatever app you're listening to this podcast on. We will be back with more tunes and more grooves on September 29th. But until then, I'm Gabe. I'm Andrew. And you've been listening to Fresh Pressed. Fresh Pressed.